0: Yes. Um, I was born and raised there. My um, parents were actually expats in the Middle East, um, Indian expats uh, in a country called Oman. I didn't know that. And uh, they were there for 10 years. And uh, my brother and I were both born there. And they migrated um, oh. to Australia in 1995.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. So, So you were born in Oman?
0: Yes, correct. Yes. Oh,
1: nice. So when did you move to Australia with your parents?
0: So okay. when I was three years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. I've pretty much grown up in Australia.
1: Yeah. And so have you ever been to India there? That's where your um That's you know, where a lot of my family
0: are. and stuff still are. I have been. Um, yeah. I have been a couple of times. It's good to actually go like to visit people and stuff because everyone's happy to see you and you can just enjoy yourself. But yeah. I get the impression that if you were to stay there and if you would actually live there- Everyone's busy all the time. It's like everywhere. Everyone's busy all the time with whatever work, family, friends, commitments they all have.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, There's a lot more traffic. There's a lot more people in India as well. So everything's more of like a competition Mm. and you have to fight for what you have and like to advance. So I'm happy that I live in Australia.
1: Mm. Yeah. But what do you think of that way of living? Do you think like, I, I agree to the fact that, you know, you, um, we consider, Australians consider themselves very lucky to be yeah. where they are. But what do you think of the chaos, um, of where you're living? Do you think that's important at all? I growth? think it
0: makes you more resilient. Um, if you're, if you live in like a country where like, or if you live in like a place where like everything runs on time, mm. you trains come in at the right time, buses come in at the right time, appointments are done at the right time, that's fine. Um, if that happens, then I guess you're just used to things always being on time, always being there mm. and you being always able to do whatever you wanted to, wh- whatever you plan to do. Mm. Whereas if you lived in a place where so the, these plans could be disrupted by anything. Yeah. Um, then I think it's a lot better because you have in the back of your mind that like, okay, this thing might not happen today. And if not, we'll just try and do it another day. Mm. Um like for example, uh, I was in India in 2017, and, uh, I think I was in, I can't remember where I was, but uh, there was like protests and we wanted to go to a certain location and we weren't able to do that because of these protests and yeah. it wasn't safe to actually go out and stuff. and
1: mm.
0: I did feel slightly disappointed. I'm just like, oh look, I really want to go see whatever place we wanted to see. Mm. Uh, we can't able to we weren't able to do that, but then I thought, look, It doesn't matter. We can always, if we come back to India, we can always do, try and do this again. Or it's like, I shouldn't let that one bad experience ruin the whole trip.
1: Yeah. I think you're you're absolutely right. The reason why a lot of um, Asians, especially in the subcontinent, want to leave the country is because of just that. Because I was talking to a friend and um, this friend of mine, he's very articulate like he loves radio and he runs his own program on youtube and his website and a lot of various programs and when in nepal he used to organize massive events Mm -hmm. right massive events that he used to call um rock stars from around the world and then they used to come to Nepal and play and he used to be the organizer and you have no idea how hard it is for people to come to Nepal, uh, as in rock stars or, you know, uh, singers or artists to come to Nepal and actually play for the audience. You have no idea how difficult it is. And this guy um, used to make things happen for the country. And I remember him sharing a story is in, he invited a very important guest from India to Nepal, Mm -hmm. um, for a particular event. And, the entire process of inviting the guest to Nepal and mm-hmm. the event actually taking place was so hard because there was uh, the strike going on in Nepal for uh, for multiple days, and it was all in it was all in the dark. Like we, he didn't really know what was about to happen, or if or not it would happen as well. And he said, "God damn." I'm 25 years old this is the most important day of my life i'm inviting the most important person i've ever come to know and the country is not allowing me to happen uh, allowing this to happen the country is not really making it easy for you know a 25 year old to thrive in the economy or in the country and um Yeah. And he said that was the turning point. That's when, that's when he wanted to leave. Right. Okay. Yeah. And to go back to your point, I do think, yeah, it makes you a very resilient person. Like you're, you're, you can adapt to everything. Like imagine you've, you've gone through the shit. Like you stop judging people. You start, you start thriving when things are stable. You start doing things and appreciating it right and when you're in a new country when you've learned the language from scratch and you've achieved something like you you appreciate it and you try and aim for more and i think um i think your parents who immigrated to australia and a lot of millions of other people who have immigrated to australia i think that's why i salute them
0: yeah it's a hard t- it's a tough job because i've heard like india has like a bit of a it has a push element and a pull element so for me it has like a pull element because i haven't grown up there yeah it's like, if I want to know more about, like, my, like Indian culture, if I want to know more about Hinduism and stuff, that's obviously where you go. Mm. And if I want to, like, you know, visit temples or if I want to do anything along those lines, then obviously you go to India for that. Yeah. But then I have a very idealized view, I'd say, of India. Because whenever I go, people are always happy to see us and mm. we just see people and people make time for us. So I don't know what it'll be like to live there. Yeah. I don't know what it'll be like how it'll be for like daily lives. And um, I'm not sure what people will go through living there on a regular basis. Hmm. Whereas that's why I think India has that push factor as well. So that's why immigrants like they seek like a, sorry, immigrants, they seek like a better way of life in other places Hmm. in like maybe more sort of ordered societies. Yeah. So it's got both in it. And I'm sure other Countries have the same thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you've raised such an important point as in you you don't really know what it's like because you went as a tourist. Yeah. And you don't really know what it's like, but it's, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it's I think India is one of the most fascinating countries I've ever seen. Yeah. Huge, billion, uh, like a billion people there. And not every state speaks the same language. I heard there's like hundreds of languages there. One part of the country does not understand the next. It's incredible. And they make beautiful movies and there's so many songs coming in and Indians have gone all over the world. The, uh, the Twitter CEO, I don't think he is, um, an Indian Indian. I think he was born and raised in the USA, but he's Indian now.
0: I, I heard that. I think he, he was born and raised in India and then it, he went to Stanford. It? Ah. I think when he, to do his like PhD and stuff. And I think he started at Twitter 10 years ago. Really? And now he's become um, CEO now. That's Apparently true. he was confidant to Jack Dorsey, the actual mm. um, Twitter owner or creator. Uh,
1: founder. and oh, CEO. sorry, founder, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai, he's an Indian Indian. Yeah. Right? From South India, I yeah. believe. Yeah. And he's now the CEO, the, the CEO of MasterCard, Ajay Bangra or something. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to one of the episodes um, at the Joe Rogan Experience, and th- the head of legal of Twitter came into the episode as well. Indian, again, but right. she, she's an American Indian. Right. My point is, India is such a fascinating country. Like There's so, there's so many people, talented people, all across the world, and doing just great things. Um, and I look at you, Vin, I mean, you're, you're like, you know, I'm
0: nowhere near those (laughs)
1: CEOs or anything (laughs) like that, but you've achieved, I I think you've achieved quite a bit, uh, for your age. And, um, just the fact that, you know, like we talked, we spoke about Canberra. Um, and I said, I'll I'll come back to this point. The point is that it's a very competitive society, Canberra, even like the grad jobs and, um, even getting a job with the government, it's very competitive getting a graduate position. And, um, You did it. Uh, How does that feel? And how was the experience just moving to another state and, and clinching one of the most admired positions
0: uh, for, for younger people in the country? I'm honestly so glad, like I was able to, I got the opportunity to move into state because I'm so glad I got this position. Well, one, because like I applied for it and I went through all the rounds and stuff and Mm there's a lot of people who want grad jobs and obviously there's, there's a competition because there's not enough grad jobs to go around. Um, however, I actually thought that like, look, it was the first time I was actually moving away from home.
1: Yeah.
0: So I thought I was living at home to like save money and stuff. And I did consider, I'm like, look, would I be able to cope? Like I'm in a Canberra and Hmm. after living at home for like all my life, I'm like, what do I, what should I do? But then I thought, it's a great opportunity um i'm single it's not like i have to i know there were other people in my grad program who had to bring their families and partners mm. so i thought look i don't have to deal with any of that yeah um i can just if i don't like it i can always just go back to melbourne and i thought look i would be extremely foolish not to take this opportunity at least try it yeah at least give canberra a chance which brings mm-hmm. me to my second point so i really felt that it was worth initially i Felt that, okay, look, I've never lived at home on my own. What am I going to do? But slowly I learned things like, you know, cooking, cleaning, paying bills on time, Mm. uh, keeping my apartment in, like, um, cleaning it regularly. And I slowly learned how to become an adult. And these skills are, like, invaluable. Like, I'm going to be doing this type of thing for the rest of my life. So I'm glad that I was able to pick up these skills when I did. Because I'd say that if I was still in Melbourne, I would have still probably lived at home and stuff. And I wouldn't have had as much of an opportunity I wouldn't have had as much of an opportunity to grow mm. these type of skills. And I'm glad that I got this job interstate because it forced me mm. to move out and I'm yeah. grateful for that opportunity.
1: Life just finds a way, right? Yeah. Life just finds a way.
0: Like, honestly, I wasn't that happy with uh, the job I was doing in Melbourne. I was looking for other opportunities. Mm. And then this one came up and I thought, oh, should I, yeah, should I take it? But I thought it's a coveted position. Yeah. I'm going to regret, I will re- definitely regret not taking it. So mm-hmm. let's at least try. Yeah. So it's just attitude mainly than anything else. I was just like, look, let's see, I might like Canberra and yeah. I'm glad, yeah, I actually do. So a- Apart from
1: the skills that you've <clears throat> gained living it by yourself and just having this Um, learning to take care of yourself um, by moving out. Yeah. Do you think it's changed you as a professional? The fact that you moved out and you're working this coveted position, do you think your outlook for the corporate world or or your professional career has changed or improved you?
0: I think I'm definitely more organized in terms of, like, time management because I know that, okay, once I get home, it's like I have to go to the gym or I have to cook something or – I can't just work, for example, I know that, okay, I need to work from this time to this time. Mm. If I need to do any work, over, if I need to do any overtime work, it's like, I'll set aside time either after I go back from the gym or do cooking and just do it then. So I plan my days a lot more. Yeah. And because I'm cooking for myself, like I plan what I eat and I enjoy that because like with the basic sort of cooking that I do, like I enjoy cooking for myself because Mm. I can say, okay, I want to eat this type of dish today. Let me go buy the ingredients. Yeah. I want to eat this in a couple of days. Okay, I can make it. Then I can have it in a couple of days. Mm. So I enjoy that sort of planning aspect of it. Plus, if you want to uh, lose weight, um, I've heard that 70% of weight loss is diet. So... Mm exercise and diet. And yeah, you'll definitely lose weight. I
1: agree. Diet, diet it is. Uh, at one point in time, I remember I was eating just steamed vegetables, like, yep. you know, buying those frozen vegetables from the supermarket steaming them and having them with a certain sauce. And I lost weight tremendously, yep. but, but at the same time I lost energy as well. So I All wouldn't right. recommend that. Don't listen to me for, for whoever's listening. Um, but I agree. Diet it is. Uh, but when you were learning about cooking or trying to ration your um, your food or whatever, did
0: you make a lot of mistakes? I'd say initially I did. Like I Initially, when I tried to like change my um, diet, I would yeah. cut down too much and then I wouldn't have enough energy for the day or I'd feel tired. And I thought, there's no point doing this. I'd rather just do it. I'd write, ra- no, sorry, there's no point doing this if I do it incorrectly and I feel tired because then- that in turn is going to affect my sleep it's going to affect my yeah um gym performance work performance and there's no point yeah on if it has this much of a negative outlook on life so i thought let me at least plan it do it properly mm-hmm. um when i cut down on like um eating food and stuff i would just like eat a fruit or something or mm-hmm. um wait 20 minutes because apparently it's it takes 20 minutes for the stomach, um, when it's the stomach sends a signal to the brain, it's full. Mm-hmm. It takes 20 minutes for it to be interpreted. Oh, okay. So that's why, like, if you feel like you've had enough, you should just leave stop. your plate and stop eating for 20 minutes. Just answer a phone call, um, go away, read something quickly, come back. Yeah. And then you'll feel full after that.
1: Mm. That's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that. that it would take 20 minutes because when I'm eating, I, I realize that oh, I'm full. Yeah you know what the best feeling is when you're, when you're full, just lying on the bed, yeah, just, just collapsing on the bed and yeah. just using a phone. Yeah. It, it's too.
0: like whenever, like in National Geographic, whenever a snake eats like an animal, it's just like a massive like thing. and it It's just uh, like digesting. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it feels like. Oh, I, oh. yeah.
1: Just sitting. I, I love that feeling. I'm not a big phone user, but I love eating. Uh, Till my stomach's full yeah lying down and just using the phone for like five or ten minutes whatever yeah that's it that's that's uh, i live for those kinds of moments yeah yeah Uh, i remember when i was learning uh to cook or um to ration my vegetables whatever to, to to make sure that my life is organized after i've moved out yeah um I came to Australia in 2016 and you know what the Nepalese uh, or Nepali culture is that you stay home with your parents. Right. Like it's uh, it is what it is like you you just stay home with your parents you don't yeah. move out because yeah. it's considered rude yeah. uh, in, in the culture. And um I moved to Australia in 2016 I was 23 years old. And I kid you not, I couldn't even boil an egg. Mm-hmm. Like I had to look up the procedure to boil an egg. Yeah. I knew it, we we need, need water, but I couldn't really. I was like, you know, I gotta make sure. Yeah, like this is it. I didn't know how to make rice. I didn't know how to fry salmon or whatever. Yeah, and I thought I used to. I used to keep telling myself like, this is who I am. I'm not very good in cooking. Yeah, and that's a. F- yeah, that's a fucking lie. You're telling yourself you can't cook just open the goddamn recipe book. It's yeah. so easy. Follow steps one, two, and three. Yeah. Just get a measuring pan or a measuring spoon or whatever. Just follow the steps. Get your ingredients. And just follow the steps and make it. And yeah. It's so easy. If you can follow the instruction to assemble a fucking table, then you can cook something. Yeah. And I consider myself stupid back then.
0: Yeah, actually, for me, like, I initially... My cooking skills were horrible. Yeah. Well, some could argue they still are, but... <laughs> Um, when I first started, I was like, you know, making pasta and like salad and stuff. And it was just, it was really basic. Yeah. And then because pasta's like got carbohydrates, it's a bit like stodgy. It's like really, it feels weird. I don't know if you eat it like after a while, it's just like, no, I want something else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I
0: want something more like fulfilling. I want something more nutritious. I think two
1: or three servings of pasta
0: is enough. Yeah, is enough. So I thought. Then at that point, I'm like, look, let me see what I, what else I can make. Then like, I made like, you know, egg on toast and stuff and yeah. then learned through that. Then slowly, like I made something else and I like added more stuff. Then I made like, I don't know, basic like sandwiches. And then like, eventually yeah. I started making like Indian food and the great thing with like sort of the food that I know how to make, like it's at least the way I make it, it's like simple and it's nutritious. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's all I need. And So what I'll try and do is I'll try and cook on the weekend. Yeah. And therefore I don't need to cook for the week. Um, Mm. and I really enjoy that because it's like an evolution at the start. I could make like basic pasta and stuff. Now it's like, I can actually make sort of my own type of food and it's, it's good enough for me and it's just, it's healthy and nutritious and I really enjoy eating it. And you're doing something for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like you feel like, Oh, I made that. It tastes really nice.
1: Yeah. And I like having, you feel,
0: you feel pride because it's like you put in effort and you're getting your a reward. Exactly, and yeah. you're doing it
1: for yourself. That's, exactly. I think for me, that's the most important thing. Like you're, you're sorting your fucking life out. Yeah. And it, it's it's a beautiful feeling. I was having this conversation with a friend, and when you first start working, or um, when you when you first move out, assuming that you you've moved into a new place. You've got nothing, right? You've, yeah. you, you probably don't have a mattress. You don't have a bed. You don't have a table or chair. And it's like putting together a puzzle. Like you get a mattress first. You then get a bed frame. You then get a table, then a chair. You might want to purchase a laptop. Yeah. Like step by step, yeah. you're getting everything sorted. Yeah. And then you might want to change the light bulb. And you change the light bulb and you turn the light on for the first time with the light bulb you've changed. Yeah. It's, it's like, wow. It's like, Like, yes,
0: it works. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. It works. And and the room looks beautiful. I can sit on the chair and play, play on the computer, play games on the computer. Yeah. And all of this is something I've made for myself. Exactly. Man. What a, what a beautiful feeling that is.
0: Yeah. I uh, recently uh, bought like another computer screen because now I'm working from home, like a lot more. Yeah. Um, I wanted two screens, um, because it's like, it's, it's better for productivity. Yeah. And so I've set it up in like one particular way. And like, I have a standing desk now. And when I initially came to Canberra, I don't think I knew what a standing desk was <laughs> because I'd never like seen that sort of concept <laughs> and stuff because only I'd say after COVID's actually sort of started that yeah. whole working from home things become more obvious. People can work from home. Yeah. And achieve the same level, if not a better level of productivity. And then with that, there's like, okay, it's better for you to like, you know, stand every now and then. Mm. So, and now it's like, I have a standing desk and I'm so glad I do because it's like, that's my setup and I'm proud to have like made it. Yeah.
1: You made a decision.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like, there's fun in research. Like if you want to change something, researching the potential options and checking the prices, then ordering something. Yeah. Then waiting for it to actually arrive, it's like oh yes, right. I can set it up.
1: Opening the package. Yeah, well. it's like
0: yeah, it's like there's just joy in all that. Yeah, and you you spend the money by yourself, you exactly hard earned money. Yeah, right? so you feel pride because it's my money and I've set yeah. it up however I want. Yeah, and I'm really yeah. happy with that. So yeah, it's a sense of pride and mm. again, it's something I probably never would have done if I didn't move out. So I'm right happy. I'm so glad I got the opportunity to be independent. Absolutely, man.
1: And I'm a big believer in. Ha- just finding happiness in smaller things like yeah. that. Like a lot of people would argue, and they're probably right, that you know buying a house is, um, is the best feeling ever, which is, which is right. Or getting married is the best feeling ever, which is probably right. I don't yeah. know. I haven't done it. But um, I don't think a lot of people think the way we do in the, the conversation we just had about finding joy in the simplest of things. Yeah, And there's one thing I've noticed about life. Finish your drink, man. Oh, you right. haven't even had Apologies, a sip. Apologies, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just uh, yeah, chatting away. Yeah. Um, there's one thing I've noticed about life uh, is that you define your happiness based on what the standards in societies are.
0: Yeah.
1: And. <clears throat> I think this year, especially um or the coming year, I've sort of made a promise to myself that I'll try and stop doing that because I know who I am and you know who you are. you yeah. know what your strengths and weaknesses are, yeah, and the same with me or any anyone in the in the whole world. and us as human beings we we have stopped finding happiness in the things we do yeah, and we've sort of started comparing oh okay i'm I'm fucking twenty nine I'm thirty, I haven't bought a house yet. yeah. I, was that a lot yeah, no. or were, you, were you stomach rumbling? <laughs> yeah, stomach <laughs> rumbling. Apologies. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. That, that was freaking bad. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I think I'm hungry. I need to go back to the food I've prepared at home. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we sort of start comparing um, our life with the standards created in society. And you say, oh, I'm 30. I haven't purchased a house yet. But they say that you've got to purchase a house by 30. Yeah. I haven't done it. So I must be unhappy. I must yeah. be unsuccessful. And it's just a wrong way of living, I think. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Just, just people finding joy or forgetting to find joy in the simplest of things, like about like 15 minutes of the things we talked about. Yeah. A lot of people don't find joy in that.
0: Yeah. What do you think? So I think there's, society has made a template of what happiness should look like for everyone, like Mm -hmm. getting married, buying a house having kids, um, you know, buying technology and a whole bunch of like material possessions, um, going traveling, like, but the thing is everyone's different. Yeah. There's no one template which fits everyone's definition of happiness. Like maybe someone, there may be people who don't ever want to get married, but they just love traveling. Or there may be people who just don't want to buy a house. they're just happy renting. So it really depends on the actual individual mm-hmm. and having a mindset where you know what makes you happy and you, and not having to listen or heed society's version of happiness is the way you can be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And but how as do you say, not
1: listen though? How do you, how do you dampen the noise in
0: the world? So I honestly think like your friend, your peers and your family help. Hmm. If you're with um, people who are very materialistic, who who have like a stopwatch or they have like, I must get these many things done by a certain age, then you'll eventually, it'll start seeping into your consciousness as well. Mm. And you'll start thinking that, oh, and you'll start thinking less of yourself because I haven't done X, Y, and Z by a certain age. Mm. But if you're with people who are happy, who are doing things that make them happy, then I think that you'll strive to find out at the very least what makes you happy. And then once you do that, to actually do, do whatever Mm. it is.
1: Mm. You know, as I've grown older, I realized that people who grow up without parents or people who grow up in a broken family, people who don't listen to their parents because they know that whatever they're doing is making them happy and actually go on and succeed yeah i think they're the strongest people ever because not listening to uh, others when when you have all these noises coming in or if you're in a like you said or or if you're in in a society in a surrounding where people aren't appreciative of who you are or supporting you to achieve something or to allow you to be who you are and even in those circumstances people go on and achieve things i think they're the the most, they're the strongest people ever because it's really easy to go out and get a fucking job Yeah, to, in a, to a certain extent, not, you know, depending on context, it's really easy to get married with someone your parents have, um, associated you with, right. Or are uh, organized for you. It's really easy to just forget about your passions, your interests. It's really easy to just, just listen to people. Yeah. Right? And listen to society and live according to how what the what the norm is. Yeah. Uh, but the evil, you know the, the naughty kids in the class who don't listen and the naughty kids in, in in a school who try and do things their way but are still respectful of others in the society, I think they're we need more people like that
0: yeah. in the world. Like apparently uh, Albert Einstein when he was studying in school and stuff his teacher like he failed maths and his teachers thought that he wouldn't amount to much Mm. yet he's like a nobel prize winning world famous physicist yeah because he stuck at his passion no matter what people said yeah and he made all these discoveries which changed the world and universe how how we view it Mm.
1: you know there's a story I, i don't exactly remember how it goes but it's sort of like a teacher gives an example of two people and the teacher says I'll give you background or stories of two people and you've got to pick one to be the president of the USA. And the teacher apparently narrates, um, Hitler's story, mm. but doesn't say it's Hitler. And then he narrates, I think, Albert Einstein or someone and, um, their story. And the kids pick Hitler's story because, you know, uh, the story was like so well sounding. I'm not sure what went, um, wrong with Hitler later, mm. but, your background can be so different right uh compared to what you could achieve in the future and um yeah it's 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 like you know you you can never judge anybody you can never really tell what the future is going to be yeah that's why i have i think i have a problem with you know how they say most likely to succeed in school that tag that's given yeah i have a problem with that yeah i think it it has a massive impact on a child's psychology yeah um did you ever have that, that kind of thing because in Nepal we do like right. we consider a particular student as most likely to succeed. Yeah. Not sh- I'm not sure what the stats are in terms of if they do or not. Yeah. But in terms of the psychological uh, impact I don't think it's very good for the
0: child. Yeah because I'm, how would you feel to be like a child with you know least likely to succeed or as some sort of label like that and then how would the, how would the child's parents feel? Yeah. I think generally because of like globalization as well as the reach of the internet. Um, you can actually study more courses online. You can actually study a lot more content. is available to you mm. instantly. Yeah. So I think the opportunities to succeed have increased. Um, for everyone. For everyone. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if auto- increased automation, increased technologies reduced opportunities, but I'd say... If anything, the opportunities for learning has definitely increased for everyone.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Like there's no yeah. point,
0: like, um, there's no, like, in, you know, libraries have like encyclopedias and stuff. You just go on Wikipedia now. That's it. People have phones. You can just Google whatever information you want. Hmm. The, there's a massive world, like human knowledge bank is at everyone's fingertips using their phones. Yeah.
1: Like us, um, like for example, YouTube, like there's everything out there. Right? Yeah. Um, even, um, if you want to search for how glasses is made or if you want to search for how a table is made or, you know, um, or if you want to search how a computer microchip is made, I, there are things that there's things out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like actually when I started cooking, um, I thought like, Oh, I'm not really confident initially on how to make a certain dish. And then I just searched on YouTube and there's like 10 videos that all explain how to do that. Yeah. And step-by-step these the ingredients you need, this is how much time everything should be sauteing. This is what you have to do all in step-by-step instructions. And yeah. the actual people would post comments and qu- questions and the authors would answer them. Mm. So there is a whole bunch of information out there. Um, you just have to look online and yeah. there's like YouTube videos, there's forums, there's blogs, Udemy, Reddit, Udemy, Reddit, Khan there's like, Academy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole, depending on what you want to learn, there's a lot of resources online.
1: Apparently, there is a computer science course by the Harvard University that's yeah. available for free online. It's, yeah, I've heard that actually. Yeah, It's called CS250 right. by David J. Milan. Right. And um, there, from 2005, there is a video of Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, wow. Um, him giving a lecture in that class. Um, it's one of the most iconic videos on YouTube. It's like Mark Zuckerberg was nobody back then. And yeah. he was giving a lecture on that uh, on that on that um, class. Yeah, uh, but you're right. There's so many. There's there there is a gamut of knowledge out there, and yeah. anyone can achieve anything if they if they try and look for it. Yeah, um, and that's why you know coming back to that point, just putting a tag on a on one student saying you're most likely to succeed. It's I don't know. People could argue that it's a right. It's a good thing because you're motivating the child yeah. to achieve great things, but you don't know what's going to happen, man. In yeah. in the next 10 years, yeah. you don't know what life is too fucking long and short at the same time. It's, yeah. it's complex. It's, you can't understand. You can't decode life. Yeah. Um, and putting uh, this massive pressure on a child uh, that you're most likely to succeed. Um, I think you know um, it's putting unnecessary desires uh, or unnecessary ambitions on the child. It's not. It, it's um, if you're a teacher listening, if you're a headmaster or a principal listening, or if you're a parent listening. I don't think uh, putting undue expectations on your child to succeed um, is um, is healthy.
0: See, and unfortunately, um, like a child's success or likelihood to succeed is only ma- measured by education. Or like knowledge, whereas a child might not be like that smart academically, but emotionally, they could be really good. And then that, if they have a career where, for example, if they're like a um, doctor and they interact with people, yeah, then that child's emotions, um, emotional intelligence, is going to actually factor in and help them do their job. And if there's like a child who's more creative, for example, then unfortunately at well there's like some drawing subjects that i had but most of them are like academic subjects they won't measure that if there's Mm. like a child that's you know good at music for example then there's nothing that measures that so there's people have different types of intelligence but academia is only one way to measure it Mm. it's like a trying to, you know, put a circle on a square. It's like, it's one size fits all, Yeah, but that's not the way to do it. And even now, I think there's been a change so that before custom, um, organizations would look at like, you know, academia and grades to yeah. determine the suitability of someone for a job. Whereas now things like emotional intelligence, creativity are becoming more valued.
1: Yeah. But how do you, how do you measure creativity though? Do you think?
0: Um, I guess it depends but, well, what not, field. Not, sure,
1: not just in job searching perspective
0: or a yeah. recruitment perspective,
1: but how yeah. do you, how do you know someone's creative?
0: So for example, if they do something like, for example, if they're applying for like a graphics design job, they have like a portfolio. Yeah. If they're applying for like a videographer, they have like work that they've done, or mm. there's something that shows like their creativity. Like it's something Something that they've done by themselves and that they're passionate about something documented. Yeah. Something documented or at least some sort of experience that they can talk about. Mm. Um, it really depends on like what the person needs to be creative for.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, um, I've met a lot of creative people and you can instantly know they're creative depending on how they, um, how they look at a session, a certain situation, like just today at work, um, i was talking to this guy and he he's funny and uh, he's very nice but i today i learned he's very creative because we were making fun of a uh, of a friend's tattoo mm-hmm. like it's not a bad tattoo it's just we're making fun of uh, what the tattoo could have been and could, could imply mm-hmm. and um this guy was making jokes about the tattoo as well but he was his his ideas were very creative and mm-hmm. it was like oh okay i didn't think about that, that yeah. kind of thing. yeah and a lot of people i think um yeah, they, they have this 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 talent or a skill of uh, of having a certain certain knack, but they haven't really channeled it uh, right. fully. Um, and I must say, man, I think Eddie, Tom, and I we've discussed this quite often. Like you have a knack for comedy, I think. Oh, you it's, reckon uh, for okay. stand up comedy? Yeah. Okay. Um, have you ever given thought about this?
0: I have, but see, the thing is, when I chat to you guys, like I know. The situation like i know the context i know what you guys find funny and like i just say stuff it's just like it's just like oh yeah it'll be like a funny comment i just say it whereas if it's stand-up comedy i don't know what the audience will find funny yeah so i guess i'm like nervous about like what the audience will think like i've Mm. seen comedy performances where there hasn't been any laughs at all and it's just like It looks brutal. It does. Yeah.
1: I was looking at this uh, video of a a comedian in the US. His name is Nimesh Patel. Right. And uh, he went to a university. I don't want to miss – I don't want to say the wrong name uh, for the university, but he went to a certain university Mm. and – he got booed off the stage because oh, well. apparently a joke that he said was too offensive. Right. And uh, the the student didn't like it. And yeah. that could happen as well. Comedy is very yeah. complex. It's um, it's You've got to be very careful, especially in 2021, right? Yeah. Um, and that's why I listen to a lot of com- comedian uh, podcasts. And they say being a comedian back then would have been a much simpler task if you wanted to make certain jokes yeah. than it would be now. Yeah. Like sometimes I come across these videos on TikTok and there's like pronouns and there is, uh, they have different names for sexual preferences. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Like when, when did this happen?
0: Yeah. I think because of the internet and I'd say maybe Western countries, they become a lot more left leaning. Mm -hmm. So I think that's because of that, it's reduces the amount of, because a lot of comedy is like politically incorrect so it reduces the amount of things that people find funny and people will be like oh I take offense to that it's like oh, okay all right fair enough
1: yeah and pe- people don't I think having an open mind has sort of diminished as well um, because if you want to go to a stand-up comedy I think you've got to take an open mind um, but then again, the, the the comedian should also know what they're um you know if they're crossing the line or not. yeah. and yeah, it's just it's just very difficult now. Just- yeah,
0: like I've been to comedy shows here where for comedy, they just the comedians just swear. and yeah. just tell a story and I'm like, I don't find that funny because really? there's no actual, like, they'll be like, oh, this effing, like, thing happened. Yeah, okay. And just say a normal story. And I'm like, I don't find that funny. Like, I, that's just me. Yeah. Like, my humour, like, subjectively, I don't find that funny. Yeah. But someone else could, like, really enjoy it. Yeah. And I would, my sort of, I guess, preference is someone tells, like, a funny story. It's, like, mm-hmm. a, from their perspective. Um, Something like Seinfeld. Yeah. Like, yeah, I find yeah. that funny because yeah. he's, like explaining the situation from his perspective.
1: That's already happened. Yeah. And he's trying to find the humor in it. Yeah. Yeah. I I love Seinfeld as well. His comedy is gold. Yeah. I'm I'm actually
0: watching it. um, So I've seen episodes like sort of different episodes from different seasons over the years. Whereas now I'm watching it from season one onwards. Oh, okay. And like, I want to see from the start. Like I still haven't seen when Newman comes in yet, but um, yeah, I'm still, I think I'm almost finished season one. Oh, okay, yeah,
1: but Newman comes in in season one, though. does he?
0: Okay, I think he does. Okay. Anyways, yeah, All right.
1: but but yeah, Jerry Seinfeld, he he's not, he's I think among the top top ten in the world, yeah, because of how he does it, and he's not the best actor, uh, yeah. in um in context of the TV show Seinfeld, but, um, <laughs> uh, but the comedy is gold, yeah, um, and we keep talking about this, Ben. I think we should, you should give it a go. Okay. There right. are there are risks out there, but I don't think you ever truly know before you, uh, if you don't try. Yeah. No, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right when you said earlier that you know it's different on stage. Like a lot of people I know who are really funny and really confident. As soon as you turn the fucking microphones on, they're like stiff and yeah. like it's really hard to have a conversation with them uh, yeah okay n- not with you like yeah. i'm having a lot of fun because i worked like a seven hour shift today um and you know I, I stood up the entire day i was tired but um you know talking to you again it's really made yeah. me oh uh, thanks for doing the podcast as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah not a problem man um thanks having me on, yeah yeah but you, you should you should give it a go
0: yeah okay yeah it's time comedy yeah like if i if i knew that like you know, the audience and stuff like shared your sense, like your sense of humor, Tom's sense of humor, Eddie's sense of humor, then I think I'd be a lot more confident because I would know like, okay, what you guys find funny. See, and I'd I create things based on that.
1: I, I kind of, I'm not a standup comedian, right? But I kind of think there is a better way to do it as well. Okay. I think good comedians, they make the audience adapt to their personality. I'll oh, give you okay. an example. Andrew Schultz, have you ever heard this guy? No, I haven't. He is he can be super offensive, but people love him because they think that is who he is. Right. That's that's Andrew. Like ah that's just Andrew, kind of yeah. thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there is a I think uh the the best joke I've seen come from Andrew is um so he's um he talks about um the Indian caste, uh the sheikh, I think the Sikh. Okay. Uh, anyway. Like so Sikhism? Sikh, uh, so the ones who wear the bracelet? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, okay. them. so he talk, yep. talks about them and he, he gives us a bit of a history. Right. Right. So the Sikh, they used to wear these bracelets as um, as an armor against the sword. Yeah. Right. Uh, but in 2021, that's gone down to a bracelet and now it rests on the steering wheel of an Uber.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that uh, oh god maybe i i just butchered it but uh if you if you look at that uh, that particular segment god damn it's funny yeah. and some people may find it, it offensive like indians yeah. but if you if as a comedian you can sort of uh, be you yeah. be, be you know showcase your personality um and make the convince the audience that, that that is who you are i think i think that that could do you think that's a better approach as well
0: I think you need to find the comedy relatable or like, at least you sort of understand. Okay. Um, yeah, I like Russell Peters because he's also, I think he grew up in Canada. Mm. Um, and so he's Indian Canadian. Yeah, he is. So he's grown up with the Indian culture at home, but in a Canadian society. So what he says is like, I find I can, it's quite funny because I'm like, yeah. Look, I've grown up in a, I've grown up in Australia. I've grown up in Australia, but I'm Indian. Yeah. So i I can sort of relate to what he's saying as well. And one other comedian that I find funny, um, I can't remember his name. He's actually, I think from Finland. Oh, okay. Um, and he um, English is a second language. And sounds he sounds like PewDiePie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's not a comedian. I don't. I can't remember his
1: name. Um, but, sorry, I apologize. PewDiePie is
0: Swedish. Yeah. Continue. He does like a. Uh, comedy bit on the word um, like ass. us. Yeah, like uh, as in A-S-S. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, for example, he says there's things like um, if you say dumb ass, it's like a a stupid person. Uh Uh-huh. Whereas if you said like, I don't know, my lazy ass friend. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. It just means they're really lazy. Yeah. So it's just the different variations of the word.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And I found that funny because it's like that is true. And as a native English speaker, you just don't even consider that. You just know the context in which people are using the word. Yeah. And because I like learning languages, I'm like, I can see how this is actually funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I really
0: enjoy- and that. It was like amazing because he's talking about his experience and because I like learning languages, I sort of relate to what he's saying. Yeah. And it's just a funny bit as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Got that. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Another comedian I like funny. Um, I find funny is Ronnie Chang. Yeah, I think he's Australian, right? But he's primarily in the U.S. Just traveling around, and his bit is funny as well. Like his, it um, it's more of um, he's more um into making fun of the Asian and American culture. I yeah. believe. Yeah. And yeah. his bit about North Korea trying to bomb the U.S. is uh, yeah. is funny as well.
0: Does he make fun of himself as well?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't. I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, self-deprecating humor is another kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this comedian Enrique, I think he makes fun of um, him coming to Australia. Have oh, Enrique Iglesias,
0: I think. No, that's a, that's a no. That's, that's a, a singer. singer. <laughs> no, sorry, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm thinking of someone else. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Enrique, he makes fun of himself coming to Australia, and he gets boo oh, sorry, he gets made fun of in the beach in Australia because right. he's like
0: big and round.
1: Yeah, um, and that kind of humor has really taken off as well. Oh,
0: are you talking about Gabriel Iglesias? Yeah, like that guy. Gabriel- yeah, sorry, yeah, right. not yeah, Enrique, yeah, yeah. See profiling. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That kind of humor is funny as well. Yeah, but I've tried to sort of, you know, uh, I've listened to a lot of, um, like I said, comedian podcasts, and I I try and watch a lot of stand-up comedy shows, Uh, and there there has to be, I think, in my opinion, there has to be a certain kind of personality um, to make it happen, and I think, we think, Eddie, Tom, and I, we think that you've got it.
0: I think you just need to see life in, like, a funny way, Mm. and it just depends on, like, your outlook as well, because... Obviously, all these comedians, like, that's how they write their pieces. Because they think, hey, great, this is funny. Let's do this. Hmm. And obviously, they practice all that and make sure that they deliver everything on fine. So, obviously, they know that something's funny. They'll know that something will be funny to the audience. Yeah. And then they practice and then deliver it.
1: Yeah. I think you've got to really love... Uh, going up on stage and delivering those bits. Yeah. Because you know how in Seinfeld you see him just waking up in the middle of the night or writing something down and going back to sleep. Yeah. A lot of people do that. Yeah. You know how you, sometimes you find dreams funny as well. You think of something. Oh, I dreamt that. Oh, that could be funny. Mm. That could be made to, made into a joke. Uh, and I think a lot of this comes back to what we talked about: creative people. Creativity is ninety percent of the time an inspiration from somewhere else. It's like if you ask a movie maker or if you ask um, an artist or anyone who creates something they won't say like I, I I sat on a table and I just meditated for 30 minutes and yeah. I came up with this. It's it's not like you're working in an office. Yeah. It's it's a it's a long process. Sometimes it's a li- lifelong process. Yeah. I sound like a very creative person saying this, but it's not like I've decoded the 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 key to creativity, but I do know that even Steve Shops said it. Like it's if you ask a creative person where they got it from, it's always from somewhere else. Yeah. And I love that.
0: Yeah, um the I think it was the di- uh the director of uh Squid Game. Mm-hmm. So he actually it took him like ten years to actually write the whole script for that for season one. And I think he took it to like multiple um television stations and film Fifty five, I think. It was it fifty five? Yeah. Wow. So he took it to multiple um, studios and they all rejected it. And then finally he got his break when Netflix said, great, let's film this. Mm. And now it's a global hit. Yeah, man. So I think you need persistence as well. 100%.
1: Yeah. Like the Flappy Bird um, game as well. I think they had a ridiculous number of failures as well. Uh, They made... 25 other games, I'm just saying a number, a random number, but they made an X amount of games that didn't really work out. And then they made Flappy Bird, which did, which ultimately did. And um, if you're a a creative person in a creative industry, I think consistency and patience, the patience and confidence that your bit, your work will one day pay off um, is so important. And being a doctor, it's it's a hard process, right? You're you're learning through tons of books, and you're going through seven years of medical school, or how many however many years. But you do have a pathway. Like if you if you complete your exams, or if you pass your exams, if you do X, Y, and Z tests, and if you get a certain scholarship or whatever, you have a certain pathway. But but for a comedian or a movie maker or a song artist. it's There, there is no path. It's yeah. like you're just walking. You don't know where you're going.
0: Yeah. I think it depends because you obviously, because you're biased, you made the idea. So obviously you think it's really good and worth publishing or mm. making a film out of. Whereas other people need to see your vision. So it's communication as well. Mm. I think also uh, JK Rowling, like the Harry Potter author, I think she was working on, um, the Harry Potter series, at least like the first book for a couple of years. She'd write in cafes and stuff. And I think she was going to lose her house because she couldn't make up the mortgage. She couldn't uh, repay, um, her mortgage repayments. And her, one of her friends actually said, okay, look, you can come stay with me. Hmm. Just take the spare room I have, just keep writing. And Harry Potter is now a global phenomenon as well. Right. There've been like, there've been so many books, there've been movies, there've been merchandise, there's like plays. Yeah. There's, you know, different rights. It's just, it's been translated into so many languages. So it's just a global book. Yeah. And I think she actually, now I think she's the richest woman in the UK. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think she bought the friend who's house she stayed at when she was writing the book. I think she bought that friend a house. Shit. So it's just really like nice. as a thank you for all what you've done yeah. for me. And I think she took it to multiple publishers and she was rejected. Mm. And then I think Bloomsbury, they read the first draft and they're like, okay, they read the first book and they're like, okay, we'll take you on. Mm. And after the success of the first book, or every other publishing house wanted it and they're offering her big money. And she mm. said, I think until the fourth book, she's like, I'm going to stick with Bloomsbury because they were... They gave me my first big break, so I'm going to be loyal to them. Mm. And even when um, those films were... Because after the success of the book, I think multiple film studios were just, you know, yeah. writing checks to her saying, we want Harry Potter, mm. we want to buy the rights and stuff. Yeah. And that's when she was in demand. Mm. And I think... I don't know why she... I think she chose Warner Brothers because she thought they would make it the best mm-hmm.
1: And she was involved,
0: very involved in like the film process and stuff. And because she had that, she had that dream and then she had the persistence and she had, she was able to communicate her vision of what Harry Potter would look like. And then other people agreed with her vision. It's now a global hit.
1: Yeah. Imagine she gave up.
0: Yeah. imagine The world would never know about Harry Potter.
1: Yeah. Do you know this writer, um, Chetan Bhagat? Yeah, I've heard this of yeah. 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 So he wrote quite a few very successful books. Um, the first one, I believe, is uh, Five Points Someone. And um, he shares in one of the in one of uh, uh, the interviews, he shares a story of how he was working as a banker in Hong Kong for a big bank, and he lost his job. He wasn't very good at what he was doing, mm-hmm. uh, even as a banker, and. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean mean to say even as a banker, he's not good at writing, but as a banker, he wasn't very good at what he was doing. And he got fired one day from his job. And he went home and he says in the interview, and someone told me about this interview, that he had a choice of either picking up the pen and continuing what he was writing or grabbing a bottle of whiskey and just... Getting drunk and just yeah, wasting the science. night. Yeah. And he chose the the first option, which is to grab the pen and write the book. And I think um, and he says that that point was the beginning of it all. Uh, it, it's the choices you make, really. Yeah. And as an artist, if you're in the creative field, it's just the key is to just keep going. Yeah. There is a channel on YouTube. Their name is Nelk, N-E-L-K. They started off as a very basic prank channel. Their pranks were very good. Like, they're, um, they're, the quality was there, but their the topics and the, the theme was very basic. Like, there, there were a there were hundred other channels like that. But they took a risk. They went uh, to the US-Mexico border mm. and they filled up their trunk uh, with Coke cans. Oh, well. Wow. And they went to the Mexican border and told the officials they've got Coke in the car.
0: Oh. Oh, my God. Right?
1: And... And they they filmed the Mexican officials taking bribes and freaking out and them trying to, you know, put their hands up in the air and them trying to be arrested. Um, And that video blew up. They had a hundred other videos before that, but that one particular video they decided to take the risk and they're like, you know, let's do this, they blew up. Mm. Today today they do make pranks, but they're more of a party group. They go yep. around the US partying and selling their merchandise. Yeah. Um, and they make money off their merchandise, and they're one of the biggest, most hardworking, the richest YouTube channels in the US. Yeah. Um and it's just incredible i feel like you know i respect all the doctors and the nurses and the engineers of the world and the scientists we wouldn't be where we are without you but these um these artists that we have what a story what a story like the rock he used to be this massive guy in high school and he usually he looked like he was 25 when he was 14. Mm -hmm. and According to him, people said he would never be an actor or whatever he wanted to be. But then look at him now, the number one actor in the world in terms of um,
0: wealth yeah, and net worth. I think even, um, you know, Friends, the TV show. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, uh, the guy plays Chandler, Matthew Perry. Uh-huh, yeah. Apparently one of his teachers in, like, primary school told him that – or it was one of his teachers in either primary school or high school told him that he wouldn't amount to much. And then due to friends becoming popular and stuff. So he was on, he was featured on a magazine. I can't remember what it was called, but as soon as he was featured, he sent a copy of that magazine to his teacher.
1: Right. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he said he
0: wouldn't be a mountain mutt. So it's just like, yeah, that's a good way to like deal with the situation.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> imagine how Matthew felt, Matthew Perry. Yeah. Like achieving something. Yeah. I wonder, because I've never felt that before, but I wonder at what point, you would think, okay, I am successful. Yeah. I wonder when, when you'd feel that.
0: I think when you get a recognition for your work Mm. and it could be like monetary, like you get recognition one and monetary compensation two. Mm. Because it's like um, if people, like, for example, like an inventor, if they, for example, um, invent something and then put a patent on it, And then the product becomes popular. They'll make money off that. And then they'll think that, look, all that work that I spent, all that time that I spent working on something, people actually using. Hmm. Um, There was one, there's one company in Australia. I can't remember what the company's called, but they made like a eco-friendly beehive.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So um, normally what they do is when um, beekeepers, when they want to take the honey from the, the honeycombs and stuff from the actual hive, they like put like smoke and stuff into the actual um hive itself So the bees like fall asleep and then they can just take the um honeycomb. Ah. Oh. So what these inventors did was they invented a hive and it had like like slats. Uh-huh. So then as soon as you want the honey you just press a lever and then all the honeycomb and stuff like it just comes down on oh, wow. the other side and like it's, it doesn't disturb the bees. Ah. I'm pretty sure that's a story, but they met, I think they went through, I think like 10 iterations mm. off the same hive and each one having its own separate problem. Then on the 10th one, they hit success mm. and now it's quite a successful organization. Yeah. What's it called?
1: Do you know the name of the company?
0: I can't remember the name of the company, but I'll let you know yeah. once I find it.
1: Okay. And even um, Dyson like it's such a big organization right now but the owner of the company James Dyson he says he called himself the biggest failure in the world because he failed uh, apparently according to his story he failed more than a hundred times right um just trying to build new products because if you think about it Dyson hasn't really done made anything um what's the word like revolutionary yeah yeah okay. right it's it's not and innovation, what they've done. But yeah. what they innovated on is simplicity. And they've tried to improve on an already existing shitty product in the house, like vacuum cleaners. Mm. Like How tedious is it has to sort of drag around the barrel around the house? But what this guy did is just cut the cord, put a battery in, just make it ergonomic, yeah. and it works. Yeah. And year by year, you're improving it. And a lot of these organizations, like big organizations, you don't get to that point without failing. Um, there is another guy, Gary Vaynerchuk. He, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you know about him? No, Gary So he is an investor um, okay. and he has a media group right now as well called um, VaynerMedia. But he keeps talking about an opportunity to invest um, in, poof, now you've got me. Uh, was it Uber or Airbnb? Okay. So he had a chance to invest in either one of these organizations. Right. He didn't. Um, and he talks about um how much he regrets not doing it. like sometimes things come in, you don't recognize it, yeah, but he didn't really stop his life because he didn't invest in one of these organizations which which would have made him probably a billionaire. Um, yeah, the amount of money he invests. but <clears throat> I think the point is to just keep going on, yeah, right. And, um, yeah, I I look up to these people and I'm like, yeah, man. Um, like I said earlier, it's, it's easy to follow a certain university course. Like you and I both have gone to university. We know that there is a pathway, there is a syllabus you've got to follow, right? And you've got to apply to certain organizations and out of 50 organizations you apply for, you will get one interview and nailing the interview is your job, but imagine a pathway where you don't see that. And the only thing that lead to success is to keep
0: walking yeah like it would be good if our education system was geared to more creative types more like musical types more drama types where you had different streams based on what you were good at mm. or what you wanted to do and then you just follow that stream yeah like for example um for more analytical people then there will be like you know careers like you know data scientists um, maybe like, you know, someone in working in like a bank where you analyze data, then for creative careers, I'll be like, you know, um, sound technicians, videographers for people who are, you know, emotionally, who have high emotional intelligence and maybe careers like, you know, customer service, like representatives, mm. um, you know, bedside, like, you know, attendants and stuff. And just people who deal with people on a regular basis. It'll be better if they go into those type of careers because Mm. they'll do that. One, they're passionate about it. So I I believe that the more, if you're passionate about a career, you will do it well because that's your passion. And two, they're doing something they actually want to do. And therefore, I think they'll be better at it and their temperament will be better suited to it.
1: Mm. Yeah. But uh, do you think... I think that this exists today in the world as in, you know, these options that you have at college or university, I think there is a lot of courses out there. Like if you go to a a normal university in Australia, at least you'll see a hundred courses listed and there's a lot of pathway there. Yeah. Um, But I think finding the key word there is passionate about finding something you're passionate about at the right age before you go to university. I think that's where the challenge is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I know people who switch courses like multiple times because they thought they liked one thing and they wanted to do something else and then wanted to do something else. So I think it really, some people it just takes a while for them to find their passions. And I know like some people they've switched careers even like they've spent maybe like 10 years in like one place and they think, okay, let me study something else. Let's see what this is like. Like I have studied it. Um, I like learning languages and I think I'd like a career where I'm involved with something with, to do with languages. Yeah. In some capacity, because I I can speak, like, I speak a bit of Tamil, like, at home and stuff. Mm. I can understand fine, I guess. Mm. Um, mm. Like, I learned French at school and I can speak it somewhat semi-fluently. Like, mm. I understand it and stuff. Mm. And that's something that i definitely like to pursue. hmm Um, but I'm not exactly sure what pathway, maybe go to a
1: a, a foreign country like Japan or China or even India in a village and teach English and stuff. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be amazing. Yeah. That'd be a nice break as well. Yeah. A friend of mine said, um, her name is Mansi and she said to learn a language, you've got to love it. Yeah. You've got to love the process. You've got to love the culture and um she loves paris like she right. is a massive fan and yep. she loves <clears> the <throat> french language she yep. can speak as well and uh, she says that you know before you start any course right uh, of learning a language they Teach you about the culture of that country. Yeah. They teach you about that country. They show you pictures and just so you get immersed. Yeah. Because language is also a lifestyle. Yeah. I'm not sure if you remember. We once had this conversation drinking wine at the, uh, at the winery that if I was speaking in Nepali right now, my body language would have been completely different. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, when I'm speaking English, it's, it's very different. Yeah. And I think speaking English s- shapes the way I think, as well, and so does Nepali. Like there is a different way of thinking. Yeah, and I think how it changes the structure of your brain is truly incredible for me. It's it's crazy how a simple language could change the way you use your body and just think about things in life. Yeah, um, and. I, I, I can sort of speak Hindi. Uh, I can, um, I think I can speak Urdu, uh, mm-hmm. except for a few words. Yeah. And I feel proud of that. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, it's like a plus point. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that I learned whatever I did when yeah. I was a child.
0: Yeah. Actually, I would say that growing up in Australia, because unfortunately it's still a very monolingual country. Yeah. Um, unlike the US where they have Canada to the north and French speaking Canada to the north and Spanish speaking Mexico to the south. There's no, apart from like indigenous languages, but there's no other major languages, Mm. um, I wish Australia had, there was more of an emphasis on being bilingual, um, I, I might say that because I'm biased towards, you know, learning languages and stuff, but I value that a lot more now Mm. because knowing like a bit of Tamil and stuff, I feel that it makes me more in tune with my, like Indian culture. Yeah. And I value that like a lot more. Plus it's just really, it's, you need like a lot of opportunities. Like you need to be bilingual. And I think 96% of the world who know English, uh, um, 96% of the world who know English, they know it as their second language or third mm-hmm. language. 4%, like mostly in Western countries, like, like America, you, um, UK and Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. South Africa, um, to a certain extent, speak English as their first language. So it's definitely, I'd say it's on us to at least speak another language or at least have knowledge of mm-hmm. another language, because as you said, having knowledge of another language is like a gateway to the culture I and see. the way of thinking. Yeah.
1: And I think it's just fun as well when you were, uh, when you're visiting the country or yeah. when you're making friends. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I must say the fact that, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to improve English every day. Yeah. And the fact
0: you speak that- great, You speak great English, yeah. Trust me, it's all learned. Yeah, it's, okay. It's,
1: I, I didn't grow up speaking English at all. Right. And I think I had friends um, who had the same aim that I had, which it was to learn English. Right. So one day it'll be helpful for us. Yeah. And um, I, I really love the language. Yeah. I, I okay. love English. Yeah. um I love the fact that it's not perfect for me, at least. Um, as in my ability to speak English, and that has me sort of look for avenues to improve it right. all the time. Yeah, and I think because of that, and in that process, it just got better. I think. Yeah, and the fact that that happened, I've enjoyed my time in Australia so much. Yeah, because I got to be friends with people of very different cultures and um, just dived deeper into the Australian culture as well. Yeah, uh, met you guys yep. and. Uh, and I don't feel like a foreigner. I, I don't because yeah. uh, and language has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um. And um. I have these conversations with my uh, with my friends and brothers and cousins as well. Um, the fact that whether or not a child should be taught different languages. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I, and I'm a believer that they should because ch- yeah. children can learn. Yeah. Languages faster. Yeah. And if if something's beneficial for them, why not? Yeah. Unless the child's sort of you know, protesting against it or rebelling against learning a new language. That's fine. But if they are willing and if they can, I'm a believer that why not?
0: Yeah. Like we actually studied, um, i studied like the learning of language in like school. Mm. And they said that because languages have like a, all languages have like a, um, universal like construct, like there'll be grammar, like verbs, nouns, adjectives, there'll be prepositions, and all languages have evolved in a way that the brain's wired to actually learn it. Mm. And that's why I think children can learn languages a lot easier because they have no existing knowledge there and no existing, at least depending on how uh, young the child is, they have no yeah. existing um, notions or preconceived thoughts. So it's like a sponge. Mm. So I think like, that's why I like to pick up languages like extremely quickly. Yeah. Um, like for example, when I was growing up, like, My parents, I'm not sure how much, like, we spoke, they spoke Tamil to us, like, at home. And sort of thanks to that, my brother and I both understand, like, properly. I try and speak. And now that my grandma's, so my mom's mom, now that, like, she's here now, I'll try and improve and try and speak to her Mm. and practice my language with her. Because I thought after moving to Canberra, like, I don't have, anyone to speak Tamil with. Mm. So I thought, okay, let me at least practice with her. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Even though I can't speak it as probably fluently as I speak English, I still enjoy the whole process.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, that, that's, that's important. As yeah. long as you're enjoying it, <clears throat> yeah. you're learning with language. That is it. Yeah, Enjoy it. Enjoy the the goddamn process. Because if you treat it as just a language and if you treat it as a um, as a tool to communicate with somebody, yeah. and leave it at just that, yeah. you won't improve. You yeah. will always have, you will always stall, and you'll always have the same. Um, you always have the same experience. But if you if you love it, and if you're like, oh, okay, I, I said this word today. Did I say it correctly? Yeah. And let me focus on saying a word correctly rather than trying to tune my accent. Yeah. I think that, that, that's an incredible experience for anyone, anyone who's looking to learn a new language.
0: Yeah. I, um, for example, I did French at school. Mm -hmm. I did it for my final, um, like year 12 exams. And then unfortunately my university, um, where I did my bachelor's degree, they didn't offer French as a subject.
1: Mm.
0: Otherwise I would have done it as one of my electives. Mm. However, I found Mauritian friends and I practiced with them. And then the first time I tried speaking with them, they got all excited (laughs) and they spoke really quickly. And then I tried to tell them, look, can you like, please slow it down. If you speak very quickly, I can't understand. And then slowly after hanging out with them, I could sort of, my ear sort of got used to hearing French at the speed of which it should normally be spoken. Mm. And I felt it was like a lot better. And I also watched like news and stuff on SBS yeah, as well, because there's like French news. And now with, um, SBS on demand. You can just access French news whenever you want. Mm. So I found that really valuable as well. And even now on Netflix, there's so many French movies. And hundred percent, yeah. With the internet, as I mentioned before, being what it is, you can always just look up what a word means. Mm. There's like you know definitions, people using it in context, people explaining what it is. There's apps now. There's like, apps now like Duolingo. Duolingo. Here. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you've got to have the patience to learn it. Uh, that's why I think um, having someone to speak the language with, its that's the number one way of learning. But um, yeah, apps or websites, internet, whatever, like there, there's avenues to do it.
0: You've also got to put yourself out there. So when I was in Paris, I initially I thought, oh, I don't know what my French will be like. I don't know if native French speakers will understand me. And then one or two days after I was there, I think my ear just got attuned to hearing French like all the mm-hmm. time. I was able to understand more of what people said. And then I started speaking
1: Mm.
0: and as soon as I started speaking French, just like the Parisians there, they were so happy to like help me with whatever I wanted to do. Even though a lot of them understand English, if you don't try and speak French, they won't help you. Mm. So I was like, I thought, let me at least try and make an effort. So I was traveling somewhere and I needed to take like an Uber there. And so I got into the Uber and I told the, um, I think the guy, when I got into the Uber, I think he must've known I was a tourist and stuff. So then he asked me, it's like, he asked me in English, like, where are you from? Yeah. And then I responded in French that I'm from Australia. I'm here for a couple of days. And he's like, oh, you actually speak. And so we were having like a good conversation. Yeah. And he asked me how long, um, I've been learning for. And then he was telling me about his family and stuff. And that type of interaction never would have happened if I didn't try and speak.
1: Mm. And that's how you make
0: friends. Yeah, really. exactly. That's how we really get to know the community. Yeah. Well. And he gave me advice on like, oh, what, what else can I do yeah. in Paris? And I was just asking him questions and he helped me.
1: And people love it when you learn their languages. Yeah. Right? I, I can't say the same thing about English speaking countries because I feel like there is a, a sort of like a judgment if you can't speak English well. Yeah. For some odd reason. Yeah. Right. But, um, if you try and learn, let's say French, like you said, and go to France and try and speak it. And even if you have that accent as a foreigner, people love it. I think I've never been to France though. The same thing with Nepal as well. If you, if you try and learn Nepali, even if you have the accent, we will accept you because of the fact that you tried.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because, um, due to the sort of wide ranging reach of the British empire. Yeah. English has become sort of a global language, like. America speaks it, like UK speaks it, New Zealand, Australia, mm-hmm. South Africa, considered um, aviation, the aviation
1: of progress. It's like the
0: language of technology, science, um, aviation, like global international aviation. The mm-hmm. main language is English. So I think English speakers have this expectation that why, like, if we go anywhere else around the world, there will be someone who speaks English, yeah. and that sort of somewhat arrogant attitude. It is that. Oh yeah, there'll be someone who understands English. There's no point, like you know, learning and yeah, we'll be fine. But people, for people, um, people who have English as their second language, mm. they'll speak it to a certain degree. But then, if you really want to get to know the culture of a place, mm. you should definitely try and learn the language because there's certain words, certain phrases. It not only shows how. The creators of the language thought, but it's like a window into their culture.
1: 100. Mm, percent No, that's very well put. I've never thought of this that way. Yeah, my man. Yeah, it's it's, it's been fun, man. It's yeah. been fun. Yeah, man. I'm sorry. I've, I've just been going on. I could no. talk for hours, man. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Um. The cameras have stopped as well, but um, it's it's been an incredible pleasure to have you in here. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for doing this.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. For sure. I feel like. Um, I'm not sure if we covered all what you wanted to cover, but I'm glad we were able to talk about mm. the different topics we covered tonight. Yeah.
1: See, here's the thing. That document that I send before every podcast, it's... The one thing that I love about the podcast um, is, you know, it's... I'm not sure how many people listen to this, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they do. Yeah. But it's it's like two people sitting down and talking. And um, I think that's, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and it doesn't have to have an agenda. Yeah, uh, it doesn't have to have an X, Y, and Z things we need to cover, unless you're a writer. Yeah, and we're talking about a specific topic. Yeah, and, um, this has been fun. This has been so natural and organic
0: and fun uh, to it again with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. I'd be mean, yeah, I'd be happy to yeah to jo- rejoin for like another episode. It's really- uh, yeah, alright, perfect, man. Yeah, thank you fun. very much. Uh, sounds Cheer good. Talking. Yeah, thank you.